Hello, and welcome to Outside World Occultism, the best tarot podcast on the internet. I'm Katya, and with me today are Ni, JT, Yo. and Lavander. Hello. F is not with us today. She said something about a chimera problem, so we won't worry about that. Yeah, sometimes you just gotta deal with them. Especially when they go and hide in the tropics of your space station. Yes. Today's episode is about Wild and Horned Hermit. We're doing a bit of a post-mortem now that it's ended. Obviously, there's going to be spoilers for that. And probably some offhand spoilers for the new game, too. Yeah, believe it or not, there's some major spoilers revealed about the identity of the Wild and Horned Hermit that I don't think anybody was expecting. Yeah, I can't believe she was a goat the entire time. I had so much money on her being a sheep. Zun just completely bankrupted me with that twist. Uh-huh. <laughs> but we were speculating about what her horns would look like, and I was always a steadfast believer in like tiny little curled ram horns hiding under the buns. Yeah, same. I thought she was going to have sage horns. Oh, just like little tiny numps? <laughs> I sort of expected them to be like cut off somehow. Like Yeah, that too. I think that's too emo for Zun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, her arm was cut off. It would have been nice symbolism, though. But yeah. whatever they did, they did kind of grow back, or they could have grown back. It's kind of ambiguous. Well, her arm didn't grow back. In the transformation, it kind of looked like they grew back or grew longer or whatever. Or at least you can look at it that way. Yeah, fusion did definitely make them go longer. Her magical girl transformation sequence. <laughs> yeah. So before we get into too deep a criticism of Wild and Hornet, <laughs> as uh. listeners may have gathered from our comments about it, let's do a bit of a like compliment sandwich where we start out talking about the things we liked about Wild and Horn Hermit and the things that we think that it did well. I do think that like structurally it is the second best of the Toho mangas after Forbidden Scrollery. Yeah. Though it doesn't have that much competition, considering Silence Center and Blue is such a train wreck. (laughs) And the fairies is just... I have so many things to say about that that I won't say right now. But we'll we'll save that episode for when the fairies manga ends. I think it's definitely one of the places where you see the strongest examples of Zun's use of the unreliable or biased narrator. Yeah. To the point that people don't realize that it has an unreliable and biased narrator a lot of the time. (laughs) Yeah, Mm. then people go on about Reimu being evil or something, which is just so silly. But on the other hand, it's also where Reimu is like way dorkier than any other manga. Yeah. Well, and that's because of that effect. Yeah. Yeah, Which. Yeah, yeah, it, it goes both ways. Everybody is incompetent and kind of a jerk except for Kassen. Yeah. Well, Zun... she is too, but... <laughs> yeah, that's true. Zun, I believe, has said that he set out to create a manga where Reimu... A manga about Reimu failing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Because she's untouchable so much of the time, he wanted to make her a more human character, I think. Yeah, make her more mm. relatable to the rest of us. And I think it's notable to compare the ways that he does this differently between Wild and Torned Hermit and Silent Sinner. Yeah. Silent Sinner was poorly received for sort of having her be defeated in what people sort of took as the extension of her quote-unquote job, even though, like, what Zun was going for was for her to be on the reverse side of her job. 
Yeah. But it was still framed in the Don Maku fight and big incident framework. I think that people see Reimu attacking someone and go, oh, this must be an incident, so she has to win. Mm. Yeah. And the one time we see that sort of big high drama in Wild and Horn Hermit is in the finale, which is where Reimu comes off as being not only effective, her being capable at that was sort of the big plan all along. Yeah. Yeah. Failing a lot of tasks in her personal life. Even though it came pretty close to failing, yeah. The the woman dies. (laughs) (laughs) I really like the characterization of Reimu in Wild and Horned Hermit. Taken with a grain of salt, obviously. Like, you have to consider that it's from Kasen's perspective, and Kasen's kind of judgy, and so she thinks of Reimu as this, like, lazy slob who only cares about money, doesn't really care about the status of the shrine, and so on. That's kind of like the third right, I think. There's obviously some grain of truth to this. Kasen's not controlling the way that Reimu's behaving, she's just interpreting the way that Reimu's behaving. And she's selectively showing the events that happen. Yes, exactly. Like, she could be paying attention to Reimu being competent over the course of Forbidden Scrollery because some of the events in that happen parallel to the events that happen in Wild and Horn Hermit, but she just doesn't... Yeah. And it's mm. notable, sort of, the only overlap we have with the plot of any of the games is the Hidden Star and Four Seasons chapters, which are Marisa calling out Reimu for being sort of lazy about the incident, and then... Yeah. Everyone having a party, yeah. Okina showing up at the party at the end. We don't get any of Reimu gets off her ass and wanders Gensokyo fighting acquaintances of people we've already met until she kicks down a metaphysical door and fights a god. Yeah, yeah. just get Kasen seeing, oh, that shrine maiden, she's not doing what she's supposed to do again. <laughs> Why does Yukari even allow her to run this shrine? I feel like she might also be missing the point of the shrine just a little bit. Yeah, I think she definitely is, because I feel like a lot of her character is just missing the point of Gensokyo a little bit. Like, she doesn't even really lose that idea when the manga ends. Yeah, that's very true. That's something we can talk about more in the gripe portion of the episode. Yeah. Some people have character growth in this manga, like Rimu and Marisa. Some yeah. people do. <laughs> yeah. And I think this does give us some of the best... Like You talked about Rimu and also Marisa and Sanae as sort of the characterization of their group dynamic we get a lot of that in wild and horned hermit yeah you can tangibly see marisa changing from the kind of person who would fight a tiger just because she wants to collect its pelt to the kind of person who brings her wife a nice warm dinner because her wife isn't feeling well like the big thing about wild and hermit it has these like long-running teams and Obviously, Cousin is at the center of it technically, but in the end, I think it's it mostly like shines as just this episodic slice of life shenanigans manga. Like, yeah, those are the like most enjoyable parts of it for the most part. Yeah, yeah, where it tries to get serious, it's not actually that serious. Yeah, I think a lot of the Toho manga are primarily slice of life stories, and that's just tied into. Toho is about a setting. It's not about a plot. 
It's not even really about the characters, it's about the world. And so to tell that story the most, you just need to say, here's how this person and this person live their ordinary lives in the world. And occasionally these weird happenings happen, but they're the exception. Hmm. The world doesn't just stop happening because you're not currently looking at it. The world just keeps on keeping on. And sometimes you get to see the people in the world dealing with it, keeping on, keeping on. Yeah, there's yeah. like six chapters of overarching plot in Wild and Horn Hermit, like relating to Kasen and what she's up to. I think to. it's more like eight, because <laughs> the last few chapters got really stretched out. Yeah. Well, yeah, fair. But yeah, still. and then the entire rest of the manga is just these cute little slice of life moments that kind of humanize Reimu and Marisa more, but specifically Reimu because Marisa is already pretty dang human. And also just kind of explores their dynamic and the dynamic with uh, the Morias, who crop up quite a bit early on and sort of towards the middle. But then I yeah. think it just kind of mostly focuses on Sané towards the end, mm-hmm. yeah. which I'm kind of sad about because I really love the way that Azuma Aya draws Kanako and Suako. Yeah, Sané is always so good, though. I love the Sané sound effect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I do like, and I sort of mentioned this briefly earlier, is that Wild and Horned Hermit is the first time we see Sané extensively interacting with Reimu and Marisa. Yeah, mm. and it really establishes the rivalry between Sané and Reimu that we kind of expected to see, where Sané is just kind of like, oh, nice place you got here. Uh... She's a Pokemon rival. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She really is. And like, she's one of the later gen Pokemon rivals, too. She's not afraid to, like, sort of mock Reimu and her shrine as poor examples of a shrine. She does also help her out and cooperate with her, and they sort of have this friendly rivalry going, and there's a lot of shipping fuel in Wild and Horned Hermit. <laughs> Reimar yeah. Sanai is a very good ship. All three yeah. of them. Speaking of, of them. that, I think the shrine is basically also one of the main characters of the manga, because... Like, the majority of the chapters are either about some festival being thrown at the shrine or some kind of other thing afflicting the shrine or some kind of divine phenomenon at the shrine. I think it's way more shrine-focused than the rest of the manga. Yeah. Even the fairies walk ahead for stuff <laughs> outside around. the shrine. <laughs> yeah, Sorry and obviously... I keep yawning. I yeah, stayed up till 4 a.m. yesterday. Oh my God. Because my cat was sick. Between Nee's audio and mine, there's going to be a lot of yawns you're not going to hear, and more than a few where we're talking and I can't edit them out, because I have gotten two hours of sleep last night in any quality. So I apologize, listeners, for my wretched yawn noises that may make it into this podcast. We're both wretched fools. (laughs) I might leave that one in for comic effect. (laughs) I guess obviously like Sinner is kind of an adventure manga in the sense that they spend a lot of time moving around from place to place and then uh, Scrollery is more of a village-centric story. Yeah. Scrollery is about basically the village and its surroundings. I would even say that Forbidden Scrollery is about Kosuzu and everything else is 
secondary to her. It certainly informs us about the village, its relationship with Gensokyo, but this is all in the context of, you know, information Kosuzu is discovering, Larry. information significant to her situation, even if she's not on screen. I yeah. can't wait to discuss the end of Forbidden Scroll, right? Because it's so gay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and like comparing Skori and Hermit, I think that people got a much better grasp of Kozuzu being the main character of Skori compared to in in Hermit. Obviously, Kasen is at the center, but her role is kind of a lot more passive a lot of the time than Kozuzu's. Yeah, she, she's a narrator, but not a protagonist. She spends a lot yeah. of time just kind of observing the antics of the other characters. I also think that it's quite possible that Kosuzu is just like that because Zun saw that people weren't getting the unreliable narrator thing with Kasen and when you know what? Yeah. Why don't I hit them over the head with it? Like, I always have to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think part of it is also that he started writing Forbidden Scrollery later. You can tell how his plot writing and character writing for the manga's changes, certainly between Silent Sinner and Wild and Horn Hermit, but even between the different subsections of the fairies manga. Yeah. God, also, Wild and Horn Hermit has been running for, it had like, what, an eight-year run? Nine. Nine years. Nine years. Nine oh years. Goodness, yeah. yeah. Nearly a decade. I think it's the manga that is the most clearly like a work in progress. You can sort of track the evolution of both the art and the writing over the course of the story. Yeah, I like the old scratchy art a lot, but I understand that Aya Azuma wants to, you know, make it seem polished. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess it was kind of, it was nice, but it was inconsistent, which is, I mean, you know, art can be inconsistent, but it's kind of its own image. Yeah. yeah, it's not what people have come to expect in manga or comic form. Yeah, certainly not in a professionally published manga. It's kind of unfortunate because art doesn't have to be perfect, polished, and look all the same, and it kind of raises people's standards so much that a lot of doujin authors are intimidated to start drawing manga because the bar is so high. I wouldn't even use the phrase raises people's standards. I would say it narrows people's expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'll defend like the early Wild Horned Hermit art does a very good job of like conveying expression and mood. I guess I could say it changes people's standards. Yeah. Rather than racism. I think it's a limiting factor. And a lot mm. of people, like, anyone who dunks on, on Zunart, uh, I'll briefly set aside my avowed pacifism to destroy you with my words and mind. <laughs> He's extremely good at portraying a character, their expressions, and what kind of person they are in a very simple art style. And I think that's really pretty. Yeah. You can even see the evolution of his art style and see the ways that he's gotten better at portraying expression and stuff too even as he's gotten better at like anatomy yeah Mm. expression is in obviously in modern zen art i think the older zen arts you sort of get why things like sakia face are memes because (laughs) they do look kind of weird but that isn't how he's drawn for like 15 years Mm. yeah 
It isn't 15 years, it is 17 years, and quite possibly before that, since Embodiment of Scarlet Devil was in development in 2001. It's a long time since then, and Zun's come a long way since then. Like, he even can draw hands now. Sakuya faces almost old enough to vote. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, does anyone have any idea how Azuma got picked out for drawing Hermit anyway? That's a really good question. I'm not sure exactly how Zun picks his artists. I think he picks them because they're gay. I'm half joking here. Like... Seriously half-joking here. Considering the fairies artist was probably not one of the ones that he picked. (laughs) Yeah. Or the second fairies artist, specifically. Yeah, the second fairies artist. The first one was hand-picked, and then, well... She was, like, hospitalized, right? Yes. Aya was also hospitalized, but not to the same degree. Mm. I'm actually curious if Aya is going to be moving on to do her own manga now. I would hope she can, because it's gotten her a lot of influence and stuff to draw Wild and Horned Hermit, so she has a good resume. Nine-year-long resume. She mentions in the post-mortem interview herself that she was, like, entering college when she got picked out, and she was drawing Toho Doshins at the time. Yeah. And that just makes me even more curious about how she specifically got picked. Did she approach Zun herself or something? I think Zun is very plugged in. Yeah, I think he cares a lot about his fan base as much as he doesn't tend to acknowledge them in his visions for his future works. Mm. Besides, you know, hitting them over the head with the fact that he is into politics. So Zoom mentions that he doesn't really read doujins because he doesn't want to, like, steal ideas or whatever. Yeah, I think that's pretty common. Or and he doesn't want to be, like, sort of influenced by people's ideas. So I'm not sure how him picking out, like, well-known or established doujin authors like Azuma Aya uh, happens. Mm. But I, I assume it's, like, something like meeting them at Reitai Sai or Comic-Con yeah. or something. Just, like, seeing their art and being like... I love your art. Do you want to collaborate with me on a thing? I just can't imagine being approached by Zoom and asked, <laughs> Hey, do you want to draw for one of my manga? <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've seen any of Azuma's early art. Zun, if you're doing an official dub of the Curiosities of Lotus Asia series, I'm sure there's plenty of vocal talent that you could tap. Uh... <laughs> like, hypothetically? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can draw, but I'm not going to be able to fill that kind of schedule, so as much as I'd like to do that. (laughs) Like, I barely get a drawing in a month. I can't do a whole manga chapter. (laughs) I don't think I've written a hundred words of Toho in, like, a year, and only part of that was depression. (laughs) I'm currently in the process of thinking about a Toho fic and not writing it. Hmm. Oh, that I'm brilliant at. (laughs) It's my favorite activity. Yeah, I think I've got a translation waiting for me right now. Oh my god. That you're stealing away from me. So we're all procrastinating on Toho stuff. Um, Yeah. That aside, shout out to Zun for consistently picking gay women to do your comics. Big brain move. Makoto Hirasaka, do not interact. Yeah, we'll we'll not talk about that. Makoto Hirasaka, do not ever interact, please. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Blocked, reported, called the cops. We'll worry about that guy later. I think we've had a lot of positive things to say about Wild and Horn Hermit. Now let's tear into it. There's one more thing I do want to say, and now I've just remembered what it is. 
In the quote-unquote not-plot chapters, the ones that don't actually tie into Kassen's story as the protagonist, there's still quite a few dramatic moments that give us very important information and that feel, and I think this is part of what we're going to get into in the ending and why the ending felt a little disappointing, that that are these big dramatic moments that don't, aren't really part of the plot, but they really inform us about the setting, like Kasen talking to Yukari, Kasen talking to Suika, Aya and Kasen's scene after the hidden star moment, I think is significant for a lot of reasons, because it shows Kasen's narration pulling to a screeching halt and suddenly cataloging Aya as someone to actually pay attention to. Yeah, instead of being an annoying bird girl. Yeah, because we see as soon as Yukari and Suika and even Okina are on screen, or on page, I guess, that's a, you know, Kasen in serious mode. This is someone she takes seriously. And that transformation of the narration in that scene with Aya, where it's previously, oh, this idiot Tengu is coming along to bother me about something, and then it immediately becomes, oh shit, she knows, you feel in that moment, like Kasen has now switched to serious narration mode mid-scene. And I mm. think that the way it handles those dramatic moments and the way it handles the tone of those... Is really neat. Is something that few writers in any medium do very well. Yeah. 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 It's very hard to change the tone of your narration. Speaking as someone who has to do that a lot for the types of stories that I write. Even just switching the perspectives of characters who aren't changing their attitudes dramatically between scenes is very difficult. In visual form, there is, you know, the framing of the shots and things. You can add things that aren't immediately the attitudes and the words. But Wild and Horned Hermit is one of the few cases to really pull that off well. I would cite uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is quite good at it, although it's much more of a roller coaster and sort of, <laughs> you know, camp. Yeah, I think it's just mostly good at that because it manages to be good at anything that's spontaneous. Which is still a skill. It's yeah. different than how Wild and Horned Hermit does it, but it's very good at it. Terry Pratchett was very good at it. Yeah. If you've ever read, like, Discworld and things. Mm -hmm. And I think he's... I compare him to Zune a lot, just in terms of tone and world building and all that. But the the emotional tones of scenes, and he was always very good at that. Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree. I want to say two more nice things about Wild and Horned Hermit. Well, we can also say that at the end, but yeah, go ahead. We do kind of want to bookend it with not insulting Wild and Horned Hermit, don't we? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the compliment sandwich. Let's just say all our nice things then, and then we can criticize our criticism after we've done our criticism. Yeah, yeah. sounds good. Yeah. We can just start fighting over the podcast. <laughs> the, these are both kind of very minor things. Okay, so every Toho character in Wild and Horned Hermit has like the same just sort of like thin little skinny line eyebrows that are just like a single line, except for Yukari and Suwako who both have, like, noticeably thicker eyebrows than the rest of the cast. So what goes especially? Yeah, and I just, I think that's a good thing. I think it rolls. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just her drawing blonde characters, because Marisa has the thin line eyebrows. Yeah. It's just, I think that because you are a schemer, you deserve to have big eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> big eyebrow energy. Big eyebrow energy. Mm. Big eyebrow energy, Snake. 
Uh. <laughs> Colonel, I'm trying to sneak around, but I keep brushing against their eyebrows and alerting the guards. No. Um. I can't do a David Hayter voice. Please don't ask me to. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> Mm. Colonel, I'm trying to sneak around, but the clap of my eyebrows is <laughs> <laughs> We've made the same joke like three times, but I'm going to leave all of those in because, oh, God, no. I love Metal Gear memes. <laughs> okay, um. <laughs> Yukari's dummy thick eyebrows aside, um. The other, the other thing that I really loved about Wild and Horn Hermit was specific- specifically chapter 37. Which is just, like, the single gayest chapter of anything Toho-related, like, canon-wise, that there is. I don't know, the love letter chapter of Forbidden Spillery is pretty gay, too. That one's pretty gay, too, but I feel like just, like, every panel of chapter 37 is just Raymu and Marisa being extremely in love. You ever just think about your girlfriend and have her show up in a thought bubble above your head? (laughs) Yeah, that happens to me all the time. That's happening to me right now. <laughs> I can really just see their, all of the years of history and affection for each other that they have, whether you choose to interpret it romantically or not. Like, it's pretty dang hard to point at it and say that... Say they don't care for each other. Yeah, it's pretty hard to, like, deny that it can be interpreted as a romantic thing. And Mm. I just really appreciate that. I love chapter 37, the Raymari chapter. It's really good. It's my favorite chapter of the manga. It is. It's good. Anyway. Anyway. So now that we've said all those nice things, let's be rude. Yeah, let's be mean (sighs) about it. I think that Zun has a problem with ending stories. He has a yeah. big problem with ending stories. Oh my god. Like, Forbidden Scrollery was not great, and then Wild and Horn Hermit came and just blew it out of the absolute water. Forbidden Scrollery, I think, was as much an issue with endings as it was with managing expectations. Yeah. Because we were expecting much more dramatic setting storytelling rather than personal storytelling. And I think the ending of Forbidden Scrollery... The way it was set up was setting-based as opposed to character-based, at least towards the ending. So it was surprising to see it switch back to character-based. And I think Mm. as a conclusion to Kosuzu's story, I think the ending of Forbidden Scrollery stands up. Yeah. Although it's definitely not a final conclusion, I still... Yeah. I'm holding out hope for Yosuzu. <laughs> I think it's something that he deliberately sort of leaves open. And what I yeah. do like about Zun endings, I know we're not into be nice, is that Zun does like open endings. Yeah. Which I think are strongly underrated in the age of cinematic universes. And But every single movie... You can't leave an ending open. You have to have a sequel. You have to have a follow-up. Yeah. And yeah. I think Zun is very good at... Just leaving things open. Things will keep happening to these characters no matter what. I don't need to continue them necessarily. Yeah, yeah. I've just think... seen what they've done for a period of time now. You can extrapolate what they'll do for the next, like, nine years. Yeah, this event is over, but life is not. Yeah, Although I think that Wild and Horned Hermit is not as good at being open. No. But I don't know yeah. whether that's just a symptom of him, of a lot of the other problems with the ending. I think it may be a little bit, I would say that it's almost like left a little bit too open to possibilities. 
It would be nice to see Zun do a more conclusive ending occasionally. He did make everything related to the ending very clear in Wild and Horn Hermit. Like, Kassen has her arm back in its case and it's not getting out again. Reimu knows that Kassen is an Oni, but no, there is absolutely no chance of the secret getting out because of some weird kind of pressure that technically Reimu should have on her, not the other way around. Yeah, that was kind of weird. Well, and Reimu's association with secret yokai being a bargaining chip is something we've seen in Forbidden Scrollery, too, so that's not a huge surprise to me. I don't know. Considering how close Kassen is to the village, considering that she's known to show up there all the time and just give advice to people, that would be a pretty big bargaining chip on Reimu's end, too, but it's... Yeah, and Kassen is much more, I think, personally invested in interacting with humanity than, like, Mamizo or Aya or... Raisin in her paper-thin medicine seller disguise. At least in Scrora's case, there was some kind of change in the sense of, like, Kozuzu now having the masquerade blown open and kind of getting introduced better to this world. In Hermit's case, like, nothing actually changed. Yeah, I think... Yeah, yeah. which... Like, he goes out of his way to emphasize that, and it kind of undermines the whole thing. I think the problem that Wild and Torn Hermit has is that it is far too conclusive in the things it sets out to conclude. I think part of the disappointment in the ending of Wild and Horn Hermit comes from the fact that it is so determined to maintain the same sort of status quo. It's it's determined to maintain the status quo, and but tonally it's acting like this is all wrapped up. Yeah, yeah. nothing is wrapped up here. It provides an explanation, but not a resolution. But it's yeah. acting like the story is real. Like, yes, we know who Kassen is. We know what her actual plan was. We, kn- we knew something along those lines for like five years. Yeah. The- yeah. You can't just act like it's wrapped up when we have had literally no character development from the beginning of the manga besides like a couple of philosophical chapters with Komachi in them. Yeah, like, aha, you've discovered my secret plan that I've been like villainously up to this whole time and it's to be normal as it's for everything to be normal and the same as usual if it were done as like a sort of a commentary on coding and expectations and stuff would make sense but it's not it's presented as straightforward it's like if you're watching an episode of columbo and the episode just ends with that guy killed him and it's like yeah we saw that in the first 15 minutes that the whole point of the show isn't who killed them it's you know how do we catch the person who did the murder like like we've known who the oni was for five years like saying she's ibaraki doji and giving us the ibaraki doji design and getting cheers from a bunch of my friends (laughs) yeah (laughs) letting me post kira yoshikage memes for like (laughs) a whole month aside This isn't a dramatic twist. We've it would have been more of a twist if she were someone else. Yeah, yeah. it would have been more of a twist if like Kasen had been Ibaraki Doji's twin or something. As silly as that would be. I think in the last couple chapters, Sun kinda painted himself in the corner with a loose loose situation in the sense that either she's like actually been 
like evil evil this whole time and planning to betray everyone and blah 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 and that then that kind of I mean given the tone of the series that wouldn't be really that satisfying either that she was actually just that would have been worse definitely especially considering I don't have a lot of confidence in him to pull off this person is evil and actually cut off their relationships with the main characters because yeah, he's exactly. certainly not done that. I don't think he can portray a character as evil like at all. Yeah, he I, certainly yeah. has characters who are amoral or immoral. Sega. Yachi. He just can't portray someone as just actually nasty with like very few one scene exceptions. Like, even if he revealed that, yes, Kasen is, like, scheming, she's got, like, a huge plot that, like, affects Gensokyo as a whole, which is kind of what we thought was going on for a long time. Uh, it's certainly what seemed to be implied by her making comments, like, wanting to like, shatter the barrier or whatever. Yeah, I have to wonder if there was a previously planned ending. I don't think that just because she's revealed to have some kind of evil plot, that doesn't mean that it's impossible to have her as a character. And like, yeah. yeah, you could have just, you know, had people actually talking something out for once and have yeah, that right. be the twist ending in Toho. It yeah. could have yeah. been not a necessarily an evil plot either, right? It could have just been a, a, plot. a plot that's well-intentioned but brings her into conflict with people. And actually, I think I think I have just realized my fundamental structural issue with Wild and Torn Hermit. Wild and Torn Hermit is built around the premise that we are seeing things through this character who's who's wrong and doesn't know it. The perspective on Reimu, her ideology about Gensokyo is meant to be unsettling. She's meant to, she, she doesn't get it. That's a crucial mm -hmm. part of her character. But then at the ending- And then that's not wrapped up at all. It's yeah, it's not addressed at all. She's this character who is wrong. The ending shows that she was right, except for she forgot to account for Reimu being stupid. It kind of comes off as a fever dream to me, like what Kasen would love to be a reality. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't grow, I think is the thing. Like, Kasen does not experience growth as a result of any of the final chapters. Even the fairies experience character growth. <laughs> yeah, like the difference between Forbidden Scrollery's ending and Wild and Horn Hermit's ending is that Kosuzu, anticlimactic as the ending was, Kosuzu is exposed to this massive world that she did not really understand existed under her nose this whole time, and she's excited about it. She, like, you know, wants to know more about it. She matures as a person. She's She's a lot less reckless at yeah. the end of Forbidden Scrollery than she is at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's, like, aware of the danger that there is in Gensokyo, but she's less reckless, but she's also possibly even more curious mm -hmm. as yeah. to find out things, but in a responsible way. Whereas at the end of Wild and Horn Hermit, you kind of get the idea that you've been sitting here for nine years waiting for absolutely nothing to happen. Yeah. Yeah, and also yeah. the the whole barrier thing, actually, it kind of gets dropped, like, halfway through, partly since, didn't she, like, discover some... I think part of that was the plot that was addressed in Urban Legend and Limbo. Yeah, but because of that, it kind of ended up dropping that main point of what passed for drama in Hermit. Because now, okay, she goes into the outside world without much trouble, and then she fetches her arm and... And she does it in a completely different work, which is a problem yeah. that Zun has had 
most notoriously in Lunatic Runegate and Silent Sinner, mm-hmm. where yeah. the whole essential portions of characterization and plot... Like, the literal ending is in a completely different book. Completely different book, a completely different format... Uh, released at a different time on a different schedule. Yeah. And obviously this wasn't that bad, but it really hurts Wild and Horned Hermit as a standalone work because it feels like this big, dramatic, setting, you know, informing moment, which... I almost feel like Kassen would have been better off not being in Urban Legend in Limbo. Oh, absolutely. And mm. I think that's strange for me to say because I always talk about how important the fighting games are for characterization. Yeah. But she has a whole manga for her yeah. characterization. Yeah. She has a whole manga for it, and the fighting games, I think, give a lot worse characterization than the mangas. Honestly, I don't think that Toho has very good storytelling when it's in an action-focused state. Zun has never been one for ludonarrative issues being handled particularly delicately. Yeah. What the heck does ludonarrative mean? The interactions of the gameplay... And the story in an interactive medium. Oh, I the see. most sort of famous example is like Ludo narrative dissonance is when you have a military first person shooter game and the whole story is about war is terrible, war is awful, but the gameplay element is isn't it fun to run around with your big gun and kill dudes? Yeah. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. That's a Ludo narrative dissonance, whereas like Ludo narrative synergy or uh, resonance is when the gameplay lines up with and reinforces the story elements. And both of these... Ironically enough, I feel like the best use of that is just in PC-98 and early Windows Toho, where, ironically, the setting isn't as polished, but... And I think, actually, another really good example of it is the Keiki's boss fight, where he reverses the thing. And, like, uh, Kaneko's boss fight, where the stage background just dramatically shifts. Mm -hmm. All of that is use of gameplay mechanics to, you know, convey the mood. And he's good at that, which is sort of a framing, but the true mechanical integration, he's never really concerned himself with, and it's never been his strong point. It's especially bad in the fighting games because... It gets compounded when Tasofro is involved. Yeah, because he isn't responsible for basically any of the gameplay there. He's just there writing a story, and Tasofro has to kind of try and fit it into the gameplay engine that they've made. And we see this, I think, most damningly in Antinomy, where it's using systems and such that were designed for the Urban Legend incident in Urban Legend in Limbo. And so they sort of had to staple all of this on to a plot the point that has been resolved already twice in Urban Legend and in Legacy of Lunatic Kingdom. This conversation about ludonarrative dissonance and synergy it reminds me of a thing that i wanted to say which is that zun writes endings to his manga in the same way that he writes endings to his games Hmm. Um, which is definitely not helpful for it yeah like the boss is defeated or whatever and then here's a short denouement scene yeah the particulars aren't important but then there's this final scene wrapping everything up where everyone just kind of talks about what happened it doesn't really transition well into that in a manga setting in the games it's honestly perfectly fine you defeat the boss and then it cuts to the shortcut scene and 
Yeah, because like, you can assume things happened in between that. Yeah. Whereas like, in the manga, it really doesn't show anything happening in between that. Yeah, like in yeah. the games, you're already used to some degree of separation between the story and the gameplay. So you can assume that there is more going on than what is being visually depicted on the screen. Whereas in the manga, when that happens, it kind of feels like there's something missing. Yeah, Yeah. and since I I just reread the Hermit manga in like a couple sittings, so it kind of stood out especially about that. If you try to look at like what kind of plot the whole manga had, assuming it had one, then near the start there's this running theme of Kassen trying to figure out how the shrine works and open up the barrier. And then she does that in a separate game, as we discussed. And then after that, she kind of doesn't have any real reason, like plot-wise, to hang around anymore. And the ending kind of tries to make it look like she's been training Reimu for this or something, but she, none of their prior like interaction is really relevant to the final battle or anything. And then the whole thing gets figured out by Tenshi because Reimu fucked up anyway. I really do not like the Tenshi plot point because it's basically, oh, Kasen was right. Reimu can't figure anything out on her own. Yeah, it's kind of pointless. I think Sun just wanted to like give Tenshi a role, which to be, it was fun in itself. She did need one, but don't go against the meme, the themes of your manga, not the memes of your manga. <laughs> the individual scenes Tenshi were in was great. The Tenshi and Shion chapter is a big favorite of mine. Outstanding. Yeah. That's like the chapter that just instantly rehabilitated Tenshi in the eyes of everyone, I think. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Tenshi on as a dynamic, I was super not sold on after Antinomi. And then it was like, oh, actually, this is like super good for both of them. <laughs> yeah. 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 You start out thinking it's this kind of like weird codependent relationship. And I mean, yeah. it, it is kind of in the beginning. But no, they're just both stupid. Then you start to really see the ways that they kind of complement each other and the ways that their like characters kind of uphold each other. And it, it starts to make a lot of sense. Tenshi also had fun scenes with Kasen and Komachi, but then even the Tenshi Komachi teaming up thing, Komachi just disappears into thin air between the last two chapters. Yeah, it kind of feels sort of like Tenshi's stealing this show when she hasn't really done anything to deserve it. Well, that's that's yeah. quite Tenshi of her. Yeah, that is very Tenshi, but at the same time, it's, it's not like the normal kind of she doesn't deserve it because she's just a jerk. It's I think there's a reasonable case to be made that Tenshi is the narrator of the Tenshi and Komachi <laughs> sequences. Uh. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I feel the ending in particular is just like, why is she here? Why yeah. is yeah. Komachi here? What is happening? It really does feel like like there was all this setup beforehand. There was Tenshi yeah. and Komachi like breaking into Kasen's house and doing cool magic hacking and so on. Yeah, that could have been great. It, it really feels like there was supposed to be more to the ending than what we got. There's all these elements yeah. that are supposed to come together. I kind of feel like Zoon chickened out, honestly. I think we talk about Zoon doesn't know how to write endings, but I think the problem is less how he writes endings and more how he writes the 10% of the story leading into the last, you know, 5-10%. Yeah, because he's really good at writing a dramatic 
lead into the ending, but then he just does not like to write dramatic endings. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think that his style of writing lots of open plot hooks and things, it works great for him as a world builder, as a games person, as, you know, telling stories about a setting. The problem is that it doesn't translate well to character stories and to personal scopes, which the manga all end up being. Yeah. It doesn't lend itself to a dramatic conclusion. It lends itself to the endings of any given fairy manga, which are, you know... Literally not an ending. I guess we have visionaries going weird places, but we'll see about that when it ends. don't have high hopes, honestly, because I've just been burned too many times. <laughs> yeah, based, based on the track record. Yeah, and at this point, we're kind of burned out probably on the whole hell hype when, like... That was another thing. It felt like all these plot points were converging together, and then they just... And then they didn't. It was like a a weird game of chicken, where all the plot points are blasting at each other across the desert. No, the weird game of chicken is Wily Beast and Weakest Creature. (laughs) But, like, before the cars are anywhere near each other, they just veer off and start doing, like, donuts in completely different (laughs) fields. Yeah. it's like I was expecting a dramatic, near, narrow version of a head-to-head collision, not circling around five kilometers apart, kicking up dust like your Jeremy Clarkson on a cocktail of some kind of drug. Yeah, I think part of the big reason that people expected this whole hell hype to actually go anywhere is that Hermit had a big conversation between Kasen and Kumachi about the specifics of this like brewing civil war basically in hell yeah so then it didn't connect yeah it's like everything feels like it was set up and then it's just being rushed slowly under the rug i just had an exceptionally cursed thought and i realized what this kind of writing reminds me of and who this kind of writing reminds me of Mm. and zun you have my apologies in advance but the hell arc feels like it was plotted out by Andrew Hussey. No. I hate you! <laughs> uh. no. Tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong. I can't tell you you're wrong, but I hate this. This is uh. the worst thing you've ever said. I'm glad that I'm improving on myself. I certainly wish I was wrong, but it's the whole... It feels like he's built it up for the purposes of subverting it. Yeah, which is not good writing. That's not good writing. It's my greatest gripe with Hussey and the Hussey imitators, and it's why I suddenly thought of his name in this, the year of our Unix Epoch 40 or whatever. Disgusting. Never speak again. Yeah, but in this case, it just... It wasn't even like subverted in the sense that, haha, you thought this was the civil war, but it wasn't. But it just doesn't show up ever again. Yeah, it doesn't go yeah, anywhere. It's just like, oh, you thought that we were going to have actual plot points, have the setting actually change? <laughs> well, surprise. Yeah, yeah but there was, there were so many chances. It could have been. It's not even a well surprise, though. It's just sort of a... Well, let's yeah. forget about that. These things are happening, and they happen, but they don't really relate to each other those cars are doing some very impressive donuts but it's not what i came out to see yeah it's not what my expectation was but since the civil war thing wasn't connected to the hermit ending and it wasn't connected to wabak in the end then 
I don't think it's going to be connected to the fairy sending. If it's connected to the fairies thing, I am going to eat my frilly hat. <laughs> yeah, so either it's like really far reaching or it's absolutely nothing and I'm going to be betting on that second one. Yeah, so we've sort of established that the biggest problem with Wild and Horn Hermit's ending is that there are too many converging plot threads and... None of them actually get resolved. Yeah, in the conclusion, the vast majority of them are abandoned and the ending becomes something completely counter to any expectations of what was leading up. That's the problem I had. The fact that, like, there were really strong themes throughout the manga and then... The ending just completely abandons any pretense of having those things. Yeah, mm. it's just basically like, it's all back to normal, don't worry about it, the end. Also, as a side note, I really hate the, like, uh, faking a fight against your friend trope. Yeah. Yeah, I really, really despise that too. I think it's a broader narrative trend in modern culture where writers, especially on big, high-profile properties, they set out to be unpredictable before telling a good story. Their primary thing is not what makes narrative sense. It's not what tells a good story. It's what will surprise the audience. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know if Zoom is actively doing that, but I, it feels like there's been at least a little bit of osmosis from that sort of thing. Yeah, that's the end result. I don't think he's setting out to do it the way that TV show writers and Marvel movie writers <laughs> and all those are setting out to do it, but I think... The Toho Cinematic Universe. Oh God, I wish. Uh, I think especially after Hidden Star in Four Seasons, where he got completely called on his character expectations, I think we saw it in Wild Beast. I think he set out to be a little more subversive. But when you're setting out to make a twist... A well-done twist is great, but a good twist doesn't surprise you. A good twist is something that makes you reevaluate what happened before it. Yeah, a good yeah. twist is like we went to hell and let's say the Civil War was being instigated by a faction outside of hell to yeah. destabilize it rather than, oh, we're not going to hell at all. We you thought that we were going to hell with our first three stages, but haha. Yeah, so this brings me, this actually leads very nicely into my next sort of topic, which is how do we fix Wild and Horn Hermit's ending? Like, what would you do to change it? And what would you change structurally about the way the events play out? Or what would you change about the events themselves to make a better story? I wouldn't make the events play out at all. I wouldn't make Kassen find her arm, I would, I honestly would have the arm be destroyed and I would have her reevaluating. well, wait, I don't feel like all of my yokai instincts have disappeared. I do have to balance that with my wanting to be a hermit and I do need to decide by myself whether it's more moral to pretend to be human or if it's more moral to honestly be a monster. I really like this because this was not the direction that I was thinking in at all, 
leaving Kassen the way she is, but forcing her to sort of reevaluate herself and grow from it is that is definitely a very good way to end yeah. it, I think. And it's also a plausible way. If Zoom doesn't want to change the status quo, he could just have Kassen reevaluate who she is while not having anybody else realize that the status quo has changed. Maybe you can still have Reimu finding out that she's an Oni by destroying the arm. I think that the ending of Forbidden Scrollery in particular provides a contrast to this because that's very much the crisis is averted, the setting doesn't change, but we see that from the perspective of the impact it has on Kosuzu. Yeah. yeah. Everyone else does change a bit. Even Reimu changes. Like, Reimu realizes hey, maybe it's not a great idea to hide everything that happens behind the scenes in Gensokyo from everyone who trusts me. Yeah, and As long as I can make sure that they aren't going to put my position in jeopardy, then maybe I should just let them know so they don't end up getting kidnapped and almost turned into a yokai. Yeah, I think one way or another, like, whatever the details, the big thing about for me at least, about the hermit ending, is that Kassen needs to have a bit of conflict over the arm. Yeah, like... About... For me, it was kind of a... It was a real letdown that when she spent the whole manga, like, looking for it, the only reason she'd be looking for it was to keep it locked away. It's a part of her, and the only thing she wants to do with it is destroy it? Are you actually joking me right now like if i lost my arm and i had an opportunity to put it back yeah. on even if it made me a little pissed off i would probably want my arm back the end result could still be like destroying or sealing the arm but it would be like way more impactful if she hadn't been planning that all along yeah <laughs> it would have been nice to see kasan grappling more with her oni side especially <laughs> considering like and it would have actually had an inkling of the themes that have been there for nine years the like the chapter where she has sort of an argument with yukari where yukari is just like you're on our side right and she's like don't you dare assume that and i'm on the side of the humans and justice and all that and it would have been interesting to see that sort of tested and like more seriously yeah. and then have that yeah. be her moment of growth like just because you say you're on the side of humanity doesn't mean you entirely truly believe that down to the deepest part of your soul People don't simply have one facet. People are multifaceted. And I think that's a huge problem with how Ibaraki Doji, you know, the arm was handled, is that she was used and treated as a scapegoat for this is where Kassen's flaws are. But yeah. it was all the flaws we never saw in Kassen. It was the flaws that she'd excised 200 years ago when she picked a fight with some samurai. Even mm. though there's plenty of actual flaws in Kassen that you could have said come from her Oni side, we're not going to address those? We're not going to talk about any of those? Even if those flaws weren't her Oni nature, if they addressed the arm contains her Oni nature, but she still has her personal flaws yeah. as Ibaraki Kassen rather than as Ibaraki Doji, and I think what she really needs, sort of tying into how I would fix Wild and Horned Hermit, is she needs the equivalent of the last Cajun Lunatic Runigate chapter, where mm -hmm. someone comes up to her, and I don't know if it would be Reimu or Okina, who I think was a little underused. I think Okina would be really thematically good. Yeah. 
Okina would be my choice, comes up to her and just says some things to make her think this wasn't just my plan. This wasn't everything we're coming up Kassen and someone, you know, or something else was in play. And we don't see that. We only see Kassen's plan going off perfectly. Which is completely in opposition to the themes of the manga. Yes. And I think that that ending fixes a lot of Silent Sinner's issues with, you know, the pile-ups of plots and all that. And I think that that provides very important context Hmm. and sort of patches up the Zun ending. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily saying that the format of it was a great idea. I honestly feel like Zun would be a better writer if he did actual books. Yeah. I think that the manga format and the game format, he's not necessarily good at figuring out what should go in where. Yeah, he's not good at working around the limitations of both formats. I think this is kind of a broad problem in Japanese otaku culture and the Japanese media industry. You see a lot of referencing events in the anime that are in this chapter of the light novel. Go read it. Mm-hmm. The Gear writer being like, here's this long info dump of information for every episode. Some of this is plot essential and the rest of it is five paragraphs of information that no one will ever need to know and may be contradicted later. Do you know which is which? Of course not. Hmm. You won't know until the end of XV. <laughs> Yeah. I feel yeah. like a lot of the things are you won't know until everything is wrapped up. That's a big problem in a lot of otaku media, too. Yeah. Another unfortunate thing about Wild and Horn Hermit's ending is that we're not likely to see the themes that were set up in it and failed to launch in the conclusion. We're not likely to see those really developed further with Kasen because, like, her story is over. And we're not likely to see them anywhere else either because no character that currently exists in Toho has those exact same conflict. Most people are happy being human or happy being yokai, unless we get a manga where Marisa goes and turns into a magician, but I doubt that we're going to get that yeah. because Zune never wants to clean up plot threads. Yeah. And I think that thread being left to the fans is fine. Yeah, that's fine. The issue with Wild and Horned Hermit's ending is it really desperately wanted you to believe that it was done with the story. It's saying, this is concluded, this is done, but it's like, no. But it's just not. It's not even close. In Forbidden Scrollers ending, it's like, this chapter is over. Yeah. But in Wild and Horn Hermit's ending, it feels like this story is over. Whereas it's not. It's really not. I wonder if there was some kind of behind the scenes reason for why Wild and Horn Hermit like had to be ended. Like I don't know, because... Uh, they already had to like split the last chapter in two. In Forbidden Scrollery, the author was going off to do her own manga, and they had to finish Forbidden Scrollery in, like, four chapters. You could even see her art quality. Sorry about this, Moharuka, while your art is lovely. But you could see it very much decreasing in the last two chapters. Whereas, like, it doesn't come off to me at all from what Azuma Aya has posted online and from the contents of the manga itself that Wild and Horn Hermit was rushed, I just feel like... It was rushed for no reason. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the problem is that these big manga publishers are very opaque. It's very rude to sort of talk about what goes on behind the scenes culturally. So there could be any number of things that caused it from a doilist perspective that we'll just probably never know. Yeah. Yeah. The end. Do we want to move to... We don't have any mailbag questions this week, so we can just close out on... Yeah. Putting our own criticisms on Blast. Do we have any open questions (laughs) to each other? (laughs) Yeah, actually, I do have ones. Something that was interesting to me about when we were talking about fixing the story is that the concept of Kasen remaining in her sort of restored Oni form was not brought forth. Like, it was more of the idea that she does get defeated and returned to quote-unquote normal, which is actually sort of, you know, an abnormal state for her. But then, as a result of that, she kind of grows and develops as a person and character. Is there any argument to be made for keeping the Oni form, seeing how the story develops from there? Because that would be catastrophic change almost to the status quo. Honestly, I would prefer that personally. It's just not the way the story would go. As a result of that, she kind of... Because of Zoom. Yeah, I think that thematically it works better for Kasen to be this person who's very concerned with true natures and things. Hmm. Yeah. Not being an Oni by rejecting her quote-unquote Oni nature, but then not having that be the solution to her problems, I think is a good response to not only her views of human and yokai and things, but her views of Remu and Marisa. She has a very, I guess, Calvinist perspective of people's behavior indicates whether they are innately right or wrong. You know, you don't work to be a good person you don't fuck up and do something bad it's if you do something good that is evidence that you are good if you do something bad that is evidence that you are bad in that way it's almost as if she is a yokai after all so it's almost like she's adopted this belief system and this sort of way of life she's like very excited about it but she doesn't like quite understood like what it's all about yeah i feel like it would be really interesting to just see her wanting to act like a human but having basically the innate nature of a yokai and rather than oh she's just completely cut off from her nature as a yokai all of her flaws are entirely just her kind of being a rude girl when chetty put it that way of like inherent goodness and evilness it kind of sounds like a yokai perspective being applied to humans yeah it's almost yeah. as if she doesn't have the proper nuance to understand that everyone does good and bad things and that there's degrees to everything you can see that in the earlier chapters where she's constantly worried like is doing xyz thing moral did i do the right thing am i still a good person yeah it's mm. kind of like a young person just discovering and getting into like social justice concepts for the first time mm-hmm. <laughs> and just like going really, yeah. really aggressively. You thought it was Byakuren, but it was I, Kasen. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Kasen is really kind of the character that Byakuren is represented as in Fanon often. Yeah. Yeah. Byakuren is very against canceling anyone. <laughs> yeah. 
As a yeah. side note, I really love the parts in Early Hermit where cousins like completely clueless about what being a hermit or Taoism means. Yeah, I wish we would have seen her learn more about being a hermit as in the actual methods of hermitry too. Yeah, I think yeah. having Miko play a larger role would have been nice. I have, I have characters that I would rather have had bigger roles in every Toho manga. I, I really yeah, wanted Kane in Forbidden Scrollery. In Forbidden Scrollery. I really wanted Miko or one of her contingent as a bigger player in, or even Byakuren. Even Sega, really. Sega would have been fun. Oh my goodness, yes. I do th- <laughs> Sega would have been fun, but Sega wouldn't have Sega isn't the same really a role. good foil to Kassen because they're both different kinds of nasty, but... Yeah. <laughs> Kassen would write a call-out post about Sega and Sega would reblog it. Yeah. <laughs> she- Sega would reblog it with additions. Yes. Yeah, and Cousins likes someone who isn't a hermit but tries to act like one and at least like gives off the impression that she is actually trying yeah. to be a good hermit. Yeah. But on the other hand, Sega is like a quotation marks good hermit. Like she's good at being a hermit, but she's also nasty. She does all the hermit things, right? Actually, she's got a pretty Taoist perspective on life, doesn't she? Yeah, like a twisted one, but yes. <laughs> That's the point of her character, I guess. But they're, yeah, they're really good foils in that sense. She's arguably a better hermit than Miko, which is very... Yeah. Miko's something. just a wizard. She, yeah, she's just a perfect flawless wizard. I do think that Tenshi kind of serves this role to some extent. Like, she serves in this capacity to Kasen. Unfortunately, she's mm. too much of a dumbass. She isn't someone who can stand and be recognized by Kasen as someone serious. Yeah. I feel like none of the people that Kasen recognized as standing on her level showed up enough. Yeah. Mm. Okina, in particular, I think, had a, was a very missed opportunity to not only develop her as a character, but develop Kasen and have her regularly interact with someone on her level. They could have used Aya for the same thing, but I don't think that would have been... Aya already had a huge role in Forbidden mm. Scrollery too. Yeah, Aya is an extremely developed character at this point. One of the most in Toho. Aya is probably one of my favorites, actually, even though I kind of despised her when I first played mm. Mountain of Faith because she was just kind of really annoying. Yeah, and obviously Okina is already kind of a divisive character, mostly like due to some of the stuff in Hermit. Like the general idea that she got really overhyped as being like super competent and planning and everything, everything ahead of time, yeah, but then I she think... doesn't really show anything for it. And in that sense too, like uh, obviously she came in really late. Like what is it, like chapter 40? Yeah. yeah, but still, she could have come in the chapters after that. She just yeah. didn't. She could have taken Tenchi's role, or they could have even been a trio. It could have been Kamachi, the one who is just like, guys, chill. Kasen is actually just a sort of misguided person. She's not trying to destroy the world. Okina, who's like, well, she may not be trying to destroy it, but she's certainly doing a good job of it. And Tenchi being the guy who's like, she is going to kill Reimu and I have to save her. <laughs> yeah, like, so this trio idea is exactly where I was 
headed. So that chapter where Kasa and Komachi and Tenshi just kind of hang out and talk about hermit stuff was really, mm. really good. And it was really mm-hmm. interesting. And having that over multiple chapters where they sort of get to know each other and talk about all this stuff in greater detail. And the conversation that Kasan and Komachi have about Buddhism and Buddha's ashes and that kind of thing. Concepts like that, just sort of over hermit, celestial, Shinigami uh, tea time, would mm-hmm. have gone a long way towards developing all of this. Yuhida even had Kasun wrap up some of her internal conflicts in those chapters and made the current ending that we have less odd. Yeah. Yeah. And then occasionally Okina comes in and joins these conversations and offers her own perspective, which is... And she's just like, hey, what's up, fellow bastard? Yeah, tinged with history between Kasan and Okina, which sort of would have served to develop some more sage lore. I... Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure that almost nobody knows that Okina is actually a sage, and they just think that, no, oh, she's just a really weird god who likes to parade herself around a lot. Yeah. Mm. Although, speaking of trios, I do now want a comedy piece with Tenshi, Mai, and Satono on business. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh, that would be a disaster. None of yeah. them are competent. I mentally convert Mai and Satono to John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction. Every time I see them together, those are the voices I use to read their dialogue. Uh-huh. <laughs> So I am quite fond of them as sort of the bumbling minions that Toho has always had people pigeonholed into that role in fan works, and now we finally mm. actually have them. Yeah, they're truly that. They have no other personality than bumbling minion. There's also a degree of pure unhinged madness on top of that. Like, not only are they bumbling, but they're also just, like, insane a little bit. Yeah, they're definitely mm. a good bit insane, but... Don't you have to be to be an evil minion? <laughs> <laughs> I think it kind of counts with the territory. Everyone give me one sentence. What kind of manga would you like to see next? Hifu manga. I want a ceiling club manga. Hifu manga, Hifu manga. Hmm. Okay, yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> My personal bias is probably a new group of yokai in the underground. Yeah, that would be very neat. I'd like a manga about just slice of yokai life. Like, we've never had just a normal, average, just usual yokai as our narrator. So you're saying you want a Tokiko manga? (laughs) No, I don't want a Tokiko (laughs) manga because she's a doormat. Any one yokai group is kind of hard to pick out for the next manga, so I'd I'd like it to be like slice of yokai. I think another could be a grassroots manga. Oh. Yeah, that would be nice. Get a couple more characters in that group. Sekibanki yeah. is actually a perfect candidate for like a slice of yokai story because she lives True. in the human village disguised as a human. And it would be really interesting to like explore that and see how mm-hmm. she manages. Yeah. Soon's very good at accidentally giving the yokai perspective, but I don't know how good he would be at doing that on purpose. It'd be nice to see. I think if we're just talking, not in terms of like what would it give to setting, but like what would be fun to read, I would love a Shinmyomaru, Tenchi, Seija, and Shion <laughs> delinquent antics manga. Oh god, yes. <laughs> that would That'd be, be awesome. That would be wonderful. 
could somebody aside from Azamaraya really give that the treatment that it deserves? Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of Shin Miyamaro art that has that gremlin feel. Get the Cromarty High School author on it. In the end, any kind of manga is good as long as it's cute and gay. I said Hifu manga like 50 times, but... Please, a Hifu manga would be wonderful. Yeah, and just take the story of the music CDs and bring it to life or, you know, sort of explore further their characters and like from the point of, you know, where the last CD ends or whatever, just like more of them exploring stuff. I don't think we'd get, really get one until like near the conclusion of the Ceiling Club story though. I'm not sure how well the Ceiling Club would translate to a visual format. The medium I would most like it see to see it adapted to is a radio play because then you can work the music into and oh mm. that would be really good too. That would be good, but that's never going to happen. Oh, yeah. of course not, because it's not a medium that people ever do doujin work in. And it's also not a medium that Zune has the resources for. Could you imagine actually having a voice for Renko and Mary? People would riot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah. I don't know about that. There's quite a lot of doujin content, I feel like, where they have voices. I really love the Hifu Club, and I feel like they don't get enough canon content. The CDs can only sustain me so much. And I would... Especially considering it's been like, what, two years since the last one? Yeah, when's the next one coming out? We don't um, know. We got two pretty close. They don't have a release pattern, though, so who knows? Yeah, I hope we don't have to deal with another magical astronomy to Trojan Green Asteroid gap. Trout. I used gap on purpose. You may not <laughs> correct me. <laughs> 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 I, I see what you did there. But yeah, I guess the two options are like Hifu or Slice of Yokai in the end. Yeah, both of those are great concepts in my mind. I'd love to see either one. As an incentive for the Hifu manga, Zun's hired a bunch of gay women to do um, the art for his manga. Oh, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> so he's hired a bunch of gay women to do most of his manga. Um, there's... I mean to do the Hifu manga, Zun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, but all I'm saying is, <laughs> Bloom Into You is ending soon. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> and Nakatani oh, Mio got her start in Toho Dojin. If Nakatani Mio did a Toho manga, I would die. You? Do you want to kill me? <laughs> do you want to kill me, Katya? Wouldn't that be a good way to go, though? I want to kill all of us, which is why I'm <laughs> suggesting this. Bold of you to assume I can die. <laughs> Yeah, I'm immortal and you'll prove it otherwise. Yeah, so she got her start in Toho Dojin, and she has Hifu Dojins. So we've already seen what her... She has a lot of Hifu Dojins. We've already seen what her style would look like in that kind of concept, and that is what I want to see personally. There's a lot of other really good Ren Mary authors too, though. That's true. The person I'd want for a Hifu manga would be Tori Sumi. Oh, yeah. That's fair. Good. Yeah, I'm a fan. So in the interest of me having to edit this, I think we should do a segue into next week. I think the natural one here is maybe to do a Hifu episode. I don't see why not. I won't be here next week, though, and I demand that I be there for a Hifu episode. True. We definitely need to have Katya here for our Hifu episode. We have to have all the gay women here for the Hifu episode. Do we want to do Dolls in Pseudo Paradise then? That would be it's great. Related. I have absolutely n no knowledge of that one, so that'd be fine. 
On that note, I'm probably not available next Saturday either. Then we can do a three-person Dolls in Pseudo Paradise episode, considering... The Perot has eliminated two members of our podcast already. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can make that joke at next week. Yeah, so... Yeah. Yeah, if one of us dies in the middle of the episode, uh, run away from any clown-like entities you may encounter. And don't accept the jeweled branch of Horai from anywhere. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, but next week we're talking about Dolls in Pseudo Paradise. Well, three of us are anyway. And then there were three. Maybe two, it remains to be seen. And then, <laughs> or maybe even one, in true Dolls in Paradise fashion. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Don't forget to send in any questions you might have either about Wild and Horned Hermit or Dolls in Pseudo Paradise. Uh, I'm sure people who don't know what that is. Or even Hifu for the week after next. Or literally anything Toho. Yeah, we will talk about it. We have a million takes and only an hour of podcast. I assure you, you will not ask anything that we would not have talked about at one point or another. But it's nice to know what the people want. Yeah, so yeah. send in those questions. You can message us at outsideworldoccultism.tumblr.com. This has been the Satellite Torifune, and we will see you next week. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye.